The text for this morning's service is from Romans 12, the verses 1 and 2. Let's read that once again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then after the sermon, we will sing together from hymn 13, all five stanzas. Brothers and sisters, beloved in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there are all kinds of products on the market that promise to transform you creams and lotions to make you young again, exotic diets to reshape you, probiotic health foods to cleanse and heal you, drugs and other health products to prolong your life, surgery to transfigure you, exercises and exercise gadgets to miraculously make you a new person promising to redistribute the bulges in the wrong places to the right places. There is a lot of money to be made with these kinds of things. And you know why, don't you? Because people generally are not happy with themselves. They're not happy with their bodies. And they want to change. And they will want that change to come about with the least amount of effort. And so they'll buy anything that promises to do that. It's not only the case with their bodies, but also with their minds. People want to transform their minds. There are a lot of self-help books out there in the market, books that that promise to give you a better memory, books that promise to make you a better person, Drugs or diets that will keep your minds sharp and alert. And again, all these things are designed to bring about a change in a miraculous way with as little effort as possible. Please note that all these schemes are self-centered. They are designed to change you. It's all about you. It's all about making you something that you are not now. The text of this morning also speaks about transformation, about the transformation of your body and of your mind. That transformation is also miraculous. That miracle does not come about because of some diet or drug or some new theory or philosophy. It doesn't come about without any cost either. There is a cost involved. But it is not a miracle that you have to bring about or a cost that you have to pay. It is the miracle of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done within you and for you. And he paid the price. But that miraculous transformation is not designed for self-improvement. 
in the first place. It is not meant for your own selfish ends. That miraculous transformation is designed for the glory of God and for the benefit of your neighbor. It is important for us to reflect on this as we begin a new season. The theme for this morning's service is as follows. God's grace transforms our lives for the benefit of God and our neighbor. And it is a transformation in the first place because of God's grace, in the second place of body and mind, and in the third place through the word and spirit. How does that transformation take place? How do you change your life? Don't think that that is something only modern man is busy with. It started already with Adam. Even though Adam was created perfect, he nevertheless wanted a transformation. He wanted to be like God. Ever since then, the desire for transformation from one being to another has been a very troublesome issue. Man always wants to change himself and his circumstances. And that is because after the fall into sin, there is something missing. After the fall into sin, man became subject to decay and to death. And he became subject to the forces of nature. He became vulnerable, subject to harm. And people want to be able to protect them from themselves from that. That was also the case during Paul's day. People wanted change. They wanted to better themselves. People wanted to protect themselves from harm. And Paul was also keenly aware of that. He wrote this letter to both Gentiles and Jews in the big cosmopolitan center of Rome where there were all kinds of people, people from all the nations all around with different customs, different religions, etc. And those who were religious and believed in the many gods wanted to change their lot in life through the rituals for the benefit of those gods that they served. They wanted to curry the favor of those gods so that the gods will give them certain things and make them into other creatures, creatures that would not have to suffer as much. For example, creatures who would be sheltered as much as possible from pain and misery. And those who followed the philosophies of the day, such as the Platonists, wanted to transform themselves by self-control. They thought that the more you deny the flesh, the more spiritual you will become. And in this way, you will separate your soul from your body and become transformed to the highest level of being. He also wrote to the Jews, and the Jews wanted you to better yourself through the keeping of the law to the minutest detail. The better you kept the law, the better your relationship with God, and the greater hope that you had in this life. 
They also, and so they wanted you to come to that higher state of being through the careful observance of rituals. The rituals in the temple, through the sacrifices, etc., and the many other daily rituals that you have to perform as a religious person. But now Paul has something in mind, something radically different. In two short verses, he destroys their way of thinking and their way of doing things. He destroys the way of the world. He begins this chapter by stating, therefore. That indicates that he's referring back to what he wrote in the previous 11 chapters. He also mentions God's mercy. In those previous 11 chapters, Paul had painstakingly laid out for them the mercies of God. And Paul began in his letter by telling them about how this world has fallen. He explained to them why this world is in the mess as it is and why every person on earth is in such a mess. It's because of sin. Because of sin, everyone and everything is subject to decay and to all kinds of misery. But then he gave them the good news of salvation, which is through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is through Jesus Christ, he writes, that you can have total transformation. For he died and he rose again, which was the most miraculous transformation that has ever taken place. The Son of God who took on the sinful nature of man was transformed from a lowly creature to an exalted creature. He who made himself subject to death conquered death and everything to do with death once for all. And the good news is that you can receive such a transformation just by believing in him. It's not by keeping the law. You are justified by faith. It's not by keeping rituals. No. It is through thankfulness. It is God's grace to you. The key passage found is found in Romans 9, verse 16, where Paul writes, It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. It's a very significant statement. And he makes no distinction between people. Gentiles and Israelites alike can receive God's mercy. As he says in chapter 11, verse 32, For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. And that's why Paul also addresses them as brothers. He doesn't elevate the one group above the other. It's very, it's very important to understand that what he says next that it has to be seen in the light of what he has just stated there in that first part of that verse. He says it is all in view of God's mercy. It is in view of what God has done 
through Jesus Christ. And then he tells them that they must offer their bodies as living sacrifices. That's the second point. And you must do that only because of what God has done. Now don't offer up your bodies in order to be transformed, but because you have been transformed. There's a world of difference between that and between what the philosophers and the world religions teach you and between what God teaches you in his word. It is the wisdom of this world that you must do something in order to become something. But that is not what Christianity teaches. What does it teach? Well, it teaches that you must give your bodies as living sacrifices. What does that mean? What that means, brothers and sisters, has great significance. It had great significance, especially for those first readers of this letter. For think about to whom he is writing this letter. He's writing, as I said, first of all, to the Jewish Christians in Rome. And when these people grew up, they had been used to the daily sacrifices being made in the temple in Jerusalem. Every day, animals were offered for the forgiveness of sins and for reconciliation with God. Blood was flowing all the time. They knew all about sacrifices that had been an important part of their culture, that had been an important part of their upbringing. But sacrifices were also an important part of the bringing of Gentiles. Their religious practices also had to partake in all kinds of sacrificial and ritual ceremonies for the various gods that they served. Their lives were full with these kinds of things. Each trade and each city had its own deity. And now Paul taps into that mindset and thinking of Gentile and Jew. And he tells them that they too have to make sacrifices. But they have to sacrifice themselves. They have to offer their bodies as living sacrifices. In explaining that to them, he employs all kinds of sacrificial imagery throughout this sentence using various technical terms for sacrifice. For example, he says that such a sacrifice is holy and pleasing to God. Holiness refers to purity, being without blemish. That was the requirement for an Old Testament sacrifice. A heifer or a goat could not have anything wrong with it. And what is pleasing to God is the fragrant aroma of the offering of the animal and of incense and this refers to the smoke that goes up to God in heaven, which represents our communion with him. It represents our connection with him. He also says that offering ourselves up as living sacrifices is an act of worship. The NIV calls it a spiritual act of worship. Other translations speak about a reasonable or logical worship case can be made for either translation. Perhaps Paul even had that ambiguity in mind. It is a reasonable or logical worship because it is the only response to what God has done in his great mercy. And that is the only way that you can respond to what God has done. You 
offer your bodies up as living sacrifices. And it is a spiritual act of worship because you are bringing a living sacrifice. It is done in a temple, and your body is now the temple of the Lord. And so when you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, then you don't offer your body in the temple courts of Jerusalem or even in a church building, but then you offer up your body in your everyday activities in the home and in the marketplace and in the place of recreation, everywhere. You offer your bodies as a living sacrifice for your body is holy and with it you serve God. That is what he is telling us to do. Paul's blunt language here would have been shocking to the Gentiles who were brought up in Platonic thought. For they considered the body to be worthless. They considered to be the body, the prison of the soul. The body to them was an embarrassment. Many people today, including Christians, are embarrassed and self-conscious about their bodies. And that is why they look for a rejuvenation and transformation. Well, God doesn't look at what our bodies look like. But he does look at what our bodies do. He doesn't want us to be obsessed with the looks of our body, but to be obsessed with the functions of our body. It is what you do with your body that counts to him. We are frequently told that we must give our hearts to God, and that's true. But you also have to give your bodies to God, for through faith in Jesus Christ, he has transformed our hearts and our minds and our bodies. He has given all of them new life. He has reinvigorated them by his spirit. He has transformed them. But such transformation also has to show. And therefore, the very presentation, the very offering of your body, is a spiritual act of worship. To worship God is not just something you do with your heart. It's not just something inward or abstract. Worshiping Worshiping him does not mean engaging in pious talk, having lengthy and eloquent prayers, shutting yourself up in your room, reading your Bible. No, you worship God by engaging your whole body. Paul says in Romans 13 and following that we must offer the different parts of our bodies not to sin as instruments of wickedness, but to God as instruments of righteousness. That is why the Lord Jesus also says, for example, that if your eye causes you to sin, that then you have to pluck it out. Of course, he doesn't mean that literally. But he means that he wants you to turn away from that which makes you think sinful thoughts. That's what Job did, for example, when he stated that he made a covenant with his eyes not to look lustfully at another woman. 
It is in that sense that he plucked out his eye. He wanted to serve God with every part of his body. In the beginning of his letter to the Romans, Paul writes that our depravity reveals itself through our bodies because of our tongues that practice deceit and because of our lips that spread poison and because of our mouths that are full of cursing and bitterness and because of our feet that are swift to shed blood and because of our eyes that look away from God. Romans 3, verse 13 and following. And now he tells us here that we must offer all the parts of our body as a living sacrifice. In other words, use your body and the parts of your body to the glory of God. Instead of using your lips to gossip and slander or turn another person down, build him or her up. Instead of cursing those who persecute you, bless them and do not curse them, as Paul says further in this chapter. And instead of being jealous of others who have accomplished something that you haven't, rejoice with them. He says, associate with people of lowly position. Bring joy to the life of those with whom you come into contact. Brothers and sisters, and that includes all of you, also young people, think about the many things that you can do with your body for your brothers and sisters in the Lord, for your neighbor, who is too weak to shovel his own driveway, for a single mother whose hands are tied because of the many responsibilities and financial restrictions she has. So many people with so many needs, they need help. There are so many ways that we can help others and each other. Offer up your body as a living sacrifice. That is your spiritual act of worship. If you offer up your body to the glory of God, then you will speak the truth and you will spread the gospel. That your tongue will bring healing and you will lift up your hands to those who have fallen. You will even though the lowliest of acts in order to bring joy to another person. That's how you worship God with your body. And brothers and sisters, that's what we have to do also in this coming season. Often the work that is done in the congregation is done by only about 20%. The rest just show up for church and perhaps for the odd weekly activity. They do nothing or very little. They're afraid to get involved or they can't be bothered. They're too busy with their own lives. Or they don't want to get their hands dirty. They would rather leave it all to others. That's a lot easier. It gets done anyway, doesn't it? Well, offering up your body means to get up from your couch for the service of God and others. It means visiting the sick and the lonely. It means doing all kinds of things 
in service of others. And if you are physically unable to do some of these things, then there are so many other ways in which you can offer up the parts of your body to the service of God. You can still pick up a phone. You still rejoice and pray for others and encourage them. When you offer your body as a living sacrifice, then that also has to be a total sacrifice. It cannot be half-hearted or partial. There is no such thing. Under the sacrificial system, the whole animal had to be sacrificed and to be committed to the priest, which was then killed and consumed on the altar. It involved the whole animal. There is no such thing as a partial sacrifice. God requires the same from you and me. There's a story that illustrates that truth. It's a story about a pig and a chicken who are walking down the road together. As they're walking along, they see a sign advertising a breakfast for the benefit of the poor. And the chicken says to the pig, you and I should donate a ham and a, a ham and egg breakfast. The pig replied, not so fast. For you, it would just be a contribution but for me, it would be total sacrifice. You can't be like that chicken in that story who only wants to make a contribution. Being a Christian means totally sacrificing yourself, totally sacrificing your body, putting your body in the service of others. And do you know what transformation comes about when you do that, when you are committed to do that when you give your life for service, for the well-being of others, that you become such a blessing, and then you will also have such inner peace that you become a different person. It doesn't matter if you're full of arthritis or have wrinkly skin or are crippled, but then you become a most beautiful person not just to those whom you serve, but also you yourself inwardly. The change that God has brought about in you because of what Christ has done will then also become evident in you because you will be doing what Christ did and you will be transformed like him because you belong to him and you are only able to do that because of Christ. For it is true that we can't do this perfectly, far from it. And therefore we need Christ to perfect us. We need him to forgive us and to give us each day renewed strength to offer ourselves up as living sacrifices. And every day he will give you new mercies. And every day he will renew you. Time and again. That is what he promises you. And Paul says that we must no longer be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. A worldly person is all about self-improvement for his own sake. He is most interested in outward appearances. He is most interested in getting out of life for him or herself whatever he can. That is the world. And that is the total opposite of a Christian. He or she is not on this earth for his own glory, 
but for the glory of God. The commercials with the beauty creams and health products want women to be turned into goddesses. The Bible, however, speaks about the beauty of an inner person, the beauty of someone who is admired for his or her spiritual qualities. And by natures, we are imitators. That's the third point. We need models to copy, role models. Ultimately, there are only two. There is this world, literally this age, as it says in this text, which is passing away. And there is God's world, or God's will, which is, as the text says, good and pleasing and perfect. And so there is a complete difference between those two worlds. There's a complete difference between the values of the world and the values of God. And this world and God's world are in direct collision, collision with one another. Nevertheless, we do live in this world. The world is also in our hearts. And therefore, we have to be aware of the influence of the world. We're all sinful human beings. And we're all inclined to go after the same values of the world. But this world thinks completely different about the purpose or the meaning of life. It thinks differently about how to measure the value of a person. It thinks differently how to respond to evil. It thinks differently about ambition about sex, about honesty, about money, about community, or anything else. It is a whole different mindset that you will find in the world. The standards of the world are so much different from the standards that God has set, and yet they are so alluring. And therefore we have to be on guard constantly. And so what do you do? Paul says, be transformed. He doesn't say transform yourself. He doesn't say that it's a matter of your own will. No, he said it is a matter of God's will. Only God can change you. And the only way that he can change you is by his word and spirit. Submit yourself to his will. Regeneration, being born again, is first of all God's work to which we have to respond. Peter says in 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us, here it comes, he has given us a new birth. He has given us regeneration into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, it's God's doing. Our renewal took place at the time of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it involved the renewal, the renewal of every part of our humanness, which has been tainted and twisted by the fall, and which includes our mind. But you also have to believe that and to know all about that. And that is why we need the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. For God's word gives us the revelation of his will. And therefore we have to open our Bibles in our homes and in our schools and in our study societies. You have to open yourself up to God's word. And that's what we have to be doing in this coming study season.
for it is through God's word that we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, as it says in the text. Brothers and sisters, do you want to be a beautiful person? Do you want transformation? Transformation that lasts into eternity. Only God can transform you in such a way that you will be the most beautiful person you can ever imagine. And it is all because of God's mercy. Give thanks to him by offering yourselves up as living sacrifices. Amen.